You're listening to Hello Movies, a podcast to get you off the couch and into the theater. I'm Lana Gay. In this episode, we'll talk to composer Anna Drubish, who helped put the scary into scary stories to tell in the dark. Do you want to see Haunted House? We've got trivia about film director Guillermo del Toro. This is what scared me when I was a kid, and it's still very entertaining. We take a look at the history of movie censorship, and I chat with Tanner Zipchin about what's coming up in theaters this week. Not really much of a dog person. It's more person than dog. But first, we interview one of the stars of the raunchy new comedy Good Boys, Jacob Tremblay. We could spy on my neighbor. She's a total nymphomaniac. She starts fires. No, she's a nymphomaniac. Someone who has sex on land and sea. Good Boys, which hits theaters on August 16th, is a comedy about three 12-year-old boys whose adventures begin after one of them, Max, gets invited to his first kissing party. The script comes from two writers from the show The Office, and the movie was produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It's raunchy enough to be R-rated, but early reviews are saying it's also got a lot of heart. Max, the boy with the kissing party dilemma, is played by Jacob Tremblay, who started his career at age seven. He's wowed audiences with his dramatic performances in movies like Room and Wonder. We got Jacob on the phone from his home in Vancouver, BC, to talk about doing his very first comedy. Hey, Jacob, how's it going? It's going great. It's a beautiful day where I am. Nice. So, Jacob, let's talk good boys. How did you feel when you first read the script? Because it's an R-rated movie. Me and my parents, we read it together, and we just thought it was the funniest thing ever. I mean, I've sworn in movies before, but definitely not as much as I, I've sworn in this one. I've never done a comedy before, so I, I really like to do all different types of movies. Mm-hmm. So I've done, like, a drama, an action movie, a horror, and I thought, like, let's, it, it's great. Let's do a comedy movie. So we thought it would be perfect. And also, what better to do a comedy movie with Seth Rogen? So you work with these comedy legends. Did they have any advice for you as far as comedy or any advice on set for you? They told me that um, little is more because when you're when you're doing a comedy, when you improvise, because there's a lot of improvising in Good Boys, which is great. Improvising is hilarious. But when you improvise like a lot, sometimes it can kind of lose the comedy. But if it's just short, like one words or like just a couple words or even like something like a facial expression, it can add a whole lot and make it so much funnier. It's also so good with improvisation when you really have a good trust in the people you're kind of playing with. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about your castmates, Brady and Keith. What was, uh, what was that relationship like on screen and off? We were just best friends. We actually uh, had a sleepover. They, they came over to my house because it filmed in Vancouver, which we're so lucky because we live in Vancouver. So they came over to my house for a sleepover and we just played games. We uh, hang out. And we watched the movies. And yeah, after that, we just became such good friends. In, uh, in pre-rehearsals, when we would practice like bike stunts and stuff, we would just like have so much fun because we just get to ride bikes all day. Yeah, we'd get to hang out with the stunt people and it was so much fun. We get to learn about drones. So we just had a blast. I could use some advice on popping a wheelie because I have no balance. So really? I feel like you're ahead of me. Yeah. I can't really <laughs> pop a wheelie either. So um, all I can do is a little bunny hop. Did you guys watch uh, movies together to research for Good Boys when you were having your sleepovers and hanging out? Well, I don't think we were really allowed to watch some, some R-rated stuff. Right. But uh, I did watch Superbad and Stand By Me. I feel like Superbad 
and it's it good boys is kind of a mix between super bad and stand by me because it's got all the great comedy but also at the same time it's about a group of boys who go on an adventure and uh it does have a little bit of heart in it and yeah it does make you feel for the characters and it's just a great story you join a pretty exclusive club with this film. So there's Millie Bobby Brown, Selena Gomez, Macaulay Culkin. They all had their first kisses on camera. That sounds like a lot of pressure. What was that like? I was really nervous. I actually was like really, really nervous because, you know, it was my first time. But I was lucky because the person who I was sharing my first kiss with was uh, Millie Davis, who I worked with on Wonder. She played Summer. So it was better that it would be with someone that I'm really good friends with and not just someone I don't really know at all. Your parents have a CPR doll. We can practice kissing on that. Stop! You should never kiss someone without their permission. May I kiss you? What do you like about me? You're sweet. You smell good. You're a really pretty CPR doll. I consent. Now, you obviously mentioned this earlier, you range in film genres. Like, really, you've done thriller and drama and action, and this is a bit of, like, raunchy comedy. Yeah. And uh, The Little Mermaid is on deck. So you have you have so many different opportunities coming your way. How do you choose what to do next? Actually, Little Mermaid hasn't been confirmed yet. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, I, me and my parents, usually what will happen is we'll get sent a script, and we'll, we'll read the script together, and um, we'll sort of, like pick at it and like really think of what it could like essentially be if we get a drama we we really have to think of you know who could play this character who could play that character and what would happen here and what what would the audience react and then we talk to our manager about it yeah and then we, we say yeah sure we'll do it now is there any role in the history of film that you would have loved to play like what's your dream role i think that everyone can say this but Indiana Jones. I mean, who wouldn't want to be that character? I feel like you've had some time with stuntmen so far, so you're, you've already upped your game there. Oh, yeah. I, I'd be great. I don't really have any whips at my house, so I don't know if I'm going to be pretty good with that. Was there anything, any kind of weird thing you had to do in the film that uh, you had to learn how to use something uh, with your stuntmen? Because you mentioned like working with those guys a bit. Did you, did you learn a new skill? My favorite scene in the movie was actually the scene where I had a like I had a paintball gun and I was shooting a bunch of frat guys. So I did get to learn how to how to use a paintball gun. And, you know, actually, when we were rehearsing for the scene, we used a Nerf gun and we kind of rehearsed like the turns and stuff like that. And um, I remember to prepare for that scene, I actually watched uh, some scenes from The Matrix. Oh. So when he was like, like using his guns to shoot the people, I was harnessing the energy of Keanu Reeves in that movie. If we don't get to that party, I'll die. Party? You guys are like seven. Stop treating us like kids. We're tweens. Why do you think we should see this movie in the theater? I mean, it's about a group of three boys who go on an adventure and uh, their friendship gets really tested. I think it's a really fun movie and it is super hilarious. I definitely don't want to spoil any of the funniness. So if you, you just go see it yourself, it's just, it's a fun movie. Definitely don't go see it if you are. Not allowed. If you're too young, then you shouldn't see it. Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time. We look forward to seeing Good Boys in theaters. I'm so excited to see you on the big screen. Thank you so much. Guillermo del Toro is one of the producers of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which arrives in theaters on August 9th. Along with being a writer, a director, and producer, the Mexican native is also known for his love of Toronto. 
He has a home here and often films his projects here too, including his best picture winner, The Shape of Water. He's had an exhibit of his notebooks, arts, and props at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Last year, he even curated a Mexican film retrospective for the Toronto Film Festival. His movies are famous for their monsters, from Hellboy to the eyes in the palms creature in Pan's Labyrinth that really freaked me out. There's the fish man in The Shape of Water, the sea monsters of Pacific Rim, and the giant cockroach in Mimic. He loves monsters and books and comic books about them. So much so that he bought a second house to hold his growing collection. It's called Bleak House, and the walls are painted blood red. That's just one of the fascinating facts we uncovered about Del Toro. So here are three more, plus one we made up. Can you guess which isn't true? Number one, he made a short film about a serial killer potato. Number two, he once gave a $900 tip to a cab driver. Number three, he guest starred on the sitcom The Big Bang Theory. And number four, his grandmother tried to exercise him. Not the Richard Simmons kind of aerobic exercise, but the Linda Blair and the Exorcist kind. Think about it. We'll give you the answer in just a bit. Del Toro's latest movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, hits theaters on August 9th. And the title says it all. It's based on the creepy short story series by Alvin Schwartz. The movie takes place in 1968 and centers around a group of teens who discover a terrifying book written by a tormented young girl. The stories come to life, and the audience jumps out of their seats about 8,000 times. But those jumps aren't just a result of special effects and creepy characters like the jangly man, who is incredibly creepy. One of the most important ingredients in a movie that scares the pants off even the bravest moviegoer is the music. So on that note, see what I did there? Film composer Anna Drubish is joining us from L.A. to tell us some of her best scaring secrets. Hi, Anna. Hi, hello. So how do you begin? So when you were asked to score the film, did you start by reading the book or did you wait for the director's cut? How did it start? Well, with this one, I first read the book itself and then I got the script. It was really exciting and scary just to read the script. The script was horrifying. And then after a while, we went to a screening with all the producers and Guillermo del Toro and and director. And Andre showed his very first director's cut picture itself was already very clear style, very brilliant artistic message. And um, it kind of was, we were pretty sure that it needs a lot of music. The style should be like more orchestral kind of uh, old schooly soundtrack. If we repeat stories often enough, they become real. Now, Guillermo del Toro, one of the producers, he's known for his love, like sincere love and appreciation of monsters. Did you chat with him about the monsters and characters at all? Well, as I understood, besides him being like uh, uh, just a lover of monsters and all this work, he's like a professional monster designer. He said that he studied in um, when he was like a kid or something or like a teenager. So he is a big pro when he talks about monsters, that's for sure. And that surprised me, like, at the very first screening, he was like, this monster is not right, like, you need to fix this and, like, do this. So the monster, I was like, that's very intense for, uh, for <laughs> you know, <laughs> producer knowing the, the monster world. So, I mean, this is such a 
dream come true to work with with this kind of professional that I wish everyone would be like this. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, I think it's interesting because obviously, he, you know, you say he's this monster pro. And when it comes to yeah. you, when you've got you've got such an important job creating this world of sound for each monster. How did you connect with each one of them? We created for each uh, monster sequence a special sound, meaning it's it has their own sound center. Like for example, Jangly Man was more like percussive sound. Big Toe is a brass centered piece. Pale Lady is like a woodwind oriented kind of piece. So. I guess the the audience will never really notice it, knowing, oh, this is like woodwind or something. But like for us, it was like a guide how we approach these different uh, horror sequences. I think this is a pretty cool concept and really helped us like somehow separate all these monsters from each other. Listen, you're in the next story. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. <laughs> I want to talk about the the piece, the end. Um, yeah. Now I'm assuming this is at the end of the movie. Yeah, it is the very end of the movie, and I um, kind of think it is a very. First of all, it really uses the main theme of the of the whole movie. It's with the whole orchestra, and basically the the idea was, although the the movie ends kind of um, sad, not like sad, but like worried. Let's put it that way. Although the filmmakers, the director and the producers, they really want to kind of have a more uplifting uh, vibe, and but also like showing, oh, there there might be something, um, you know, positive in the, in the future or something. This is the piece, uh, like kind of the final piece before the end credits. When you started working uh, within the world of score, was there a movie that had particularly affected you with it, like a movie score that you loved so much or something that inspired you? I come from a film family and my father is a film director in Russia and mom is an actress. And somehow, some, somehow I was like, from my very early childhood, I was like in the film world. I never wanted to be a filmmaker myself, but I was uh, kind of, I, I I watched so many great European movies or, or American movies and stuff. So uh, somehow when I was already in the music world, like I was a professional pianist playing concerts and stuff and compo- and writing music. So uh, when I was 17, uh, my father just asked me to, to do music for his movie. And this was my start. And um, since then, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I did pretty a lot already. And I, I'm really a huge fan of this profession, of this job. It is something special. We're excited to see it in the theater and be completely scared out of our seats because of your score. Okay, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. Earlier in the podcast, we told you four things about Guillermo del Toro, but only three are true. Do you know which one we made up? Here they are again. Number one, he made a short film about a serial killer potato. That's my favorite one, to be honest. Number two, he gave a $900 tip to a cab driver. Number three, he guest starred on the sitcom The Big Bang Theory. And number four, his grandmother tried to exercise him. So did he give $900 to a cab driver? Yes, but that's because he'd left his notebook with four years worth of his ideas and sketches for the movie Pan's Labyrinth in the cab. He tried to chase it after being dropped off at his hotel, but failed. Two days later, 
The driver found out and returned it. And Del Toro was so grateful he gave him that whopping tip and decided it was fate that he should go ahead and make the movie. Good call. It scored six Oscar nominations and three wins in 2007. Did his grandmother do an exorcism on him? Yes, more than once. When he was a kid living in Mexico, she was so disturbed by his drawings of freaks and monsters, she exorcised him. She also had him atone for his sins by putting bottle caps in his shoes that would cut his feet while he walked to school. His mother finally found out and put a stop to it. So did he ever make a film about a serial killer potato? He sure did. He was about eight and used his dad's camera to make films starring his Planet of the Apes action figures along with family members. In his serial killer potato movie, the potato killed his mother and brothers and then got crushed, well, mashed, by a car. So the lie? You guessed it. He never guest starred on The Big Bang Theory. He did, however, guest star on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He was working with the show's star and writer Charlie Day on the movie Pacific Rim. Del Toro told him he was a fan, so Day wrote him into two episodes of the show's eighth season. Earlier, we spoke to Jacob Tremblay about his latest movie, Good Boys. It's rated R, which means the 12-year-old actor can't technically see the movie despite being one of its stars. An irony that was not lost on the film's producers. You guys cannot watch the trailer for your own movie. What? Are you serious? Are you kidding? It's just too messed up for kids your age. There's drugs, there's violence, there's swearing. And although we've decided it's okay for you to do these things in the movie... You can't watch yourselves do them in the trailer. It's funny, but it also makes sense. We have movie ratings for a reason. While they're a little different from one province to another, they cover the basics. There are movies everyone can see, movies with warnings, movies where an adult has to accompany a minor, and movies that can only be seen by people 18 and over. Pretty straightforward, right? But in the early days of filmmaking, there was no system at all in Hollywood until the Hayes Code came along in 1934. That was the informal name for the Motion Picture Production Code of Moral Censorship Guidelines created by William Hayes. It went far beyond issues like cursing, explicit language, and sex scenes. The basics. The movie couldn't, quote, lower the moral standards, unquote, of viewers. The audience couldn't sympathize with criminals or evildoers. We're talking to you, Suicide Squad. Seriously, the hell's wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. There were rules against nudity, but also against lustful kissing, suggestive dances, superfluous use of liquor, homosexuality, and miscegenation, which I had to look up. It's racist. That means marriage, cohabitation, or sex between white people and anyone who wasn't white. Yeah, this was not a system we wanted to keep. Filmmakers, of course, found ways around these strict guidelines. There was a three-second kissing rule. So in Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, stars Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman broke off their kissing every three seconds, then picked it up again. The whole thing lasted two and a half minutes, was considered sexy for its time, 1946, and never broke the rule. Another famous restriction, women always had to have one foot on the floor in lovemaking scenes, which pretty much ruled out good lovemaking scenes. People couldn't even kiss if they were horizontal. 
We've come a long way. The modern rating system isn't there to tell filmmakers what they can and can't do, but to let moviegoers know what they're in for, especially parents. Even if it means some of them can't bring their famous kids to the movies those kids are starring in. Now it's time to check in with Tanner Zipchin from the Cineplex pre-show. Do you remember the first R-rated movie you ever saw? Yeah, I do. It was、uh, Paul Verhoeven, the guy who did RoboCop, and his movie Starship Troopers in、uh, 1997. Right into the theater for that one. A lot of things、uh, that I have, I think, experienced for the first time, and a lot of questions after. Okay. Yeah.、Uh, now something a bit more PG, very much more PG. The Angry Birds movie two, Angry Birds two.、Uh, it's coming out next week. Definitely not restricted. So、um, I heard you at the the junket. What's the inside scoop? Yeah, it's this. I think for me, one of the first movies that I've actually been able to cover the sequel for. The first time around, yeah, we we saw the pigs and the birds kind of first meet, and the and why you know we learned why the birds are so angry, where this little you know battle between them started, and now we got a new enemy with a new group of birds threatening the island. So the pigs and the birds have to team up. And、uh, kind of join forces here. So a lot of the voices are coming back from the first one, like Jason Sudeikis and Josh Gad, Peter Dinklage, and some new voices like、uh, Sterling K. Brown. You know him from This Is Us, and a little different role this time. He, he was he was quite happy that fi- well he he said he could finally maybe show his work to his children because up until now it's been a little more mature audience, some you know more dramatic stuff, and now he's finally doing something a little younger, a little more fun. Now, if you were to voice,、uh, would you be an Angry Bird or would you be a Pig? I mean, the pigs in this movie, especially with Sterling's character, we see some range. We've we've got all kinds of different characters when it comes to the pigs. I think I would like to be be a pig. Okay, fair enough.、Uh, hey, have you heard anything about the art of racing in the rain? Yeah, this one is based on the book、uh, by the same name. And speaking of、uh, This Is Us, it also stars、uh, Milo from、uh, This Is Us. Ventimiglia.、Uh, yes, as、uh, Denny, who is a race car driver. Uh, who is、uh, realizing that race car driving is a lot like life when it comes to navigating things? And he's got his, his three loves. He's got his wife. He's got race car driving, and also his best friend, his dog, voiced by Kevin Costner. That is just so good. Yeah, it's cool to see in the, the trailer. You see the dog in the passenger seat. The dog loves racing more than he does. And I was, I, I mean, a little disappointed that it wasn't more like an Airbud type situation that the dog didn't do some of the driving.、Um, <laughs> maybe for the sequel. Okay, you never, you never know. You actually, you never know. Maybe there's an after-credit scene. Stick around, but、uh, <laughs> yeah, th- this time the dog just in the passenger seat. All right. Well, that one's out August ninth.、Uh, let's talk about where'd you go, Bernadette? That looks interesting. Have you heard、uh, much about that one? I mean, I think it's exactly what the title says. It's where where'd you go, Bernadette? Her family、uh, looking for is looking for Bernadette before a family vacation, and they have no idea where she's gone. And Bernadette, of course, played by Kate Blanchett. And、uh, from what I've heard from people who have seen this movie, early press screenings, early screenings, Kate Blanchett's performance it's it's fun, it's inspiring. It'll make you kind of go home and maybe rethink how you live your life. And、uh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, and I, I feel like Kate Blanchett in any sort of character can help lead the way. I feel like Kate Blanchett <laughs> is should be everyone's role model in a way. Absolutely, actually, she's been in Toronto. She has. She's spending a lot of time in Toronto. I know she's been busy filming, and they actually had、uh, the press day、uh, for for North America in Toronto because that was the most convenient thing. Just have her break from set and and come and do a few interviews. So yeah, she's、uh, she's been making Toronto home for a little while now. Nice. Well, excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Tanner. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks. Please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. 
on our next episode of Hello Movies, we'll try to not get too freaked out. I'm already scared. <laughs> By It Chapter 2. It's freaky! We'll take a look at The Goldfinch, adapted from Donna Tartt's Pulitzer Prize winning novel. If you have comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Colton Eddy is our producer. Philip Zivkov is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jung. A special shout out to Tanner Zipchin. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening and see you at the movies. 